Welcome to Mind Love, episode 298. Today's episode is all about moving from self-sabotage to self-belief through micro-mindset shifts. I think self-sabotage really starts kicking up when it's time to bring in a change, when it's time to evolve, it's time to step into the next thing. Typically, we categorize how we feel just into feels good and feels bad. And the way that we actually need to think of it is feels good and does good. So procrastination feels good, but productivity does good, even if it doesn't feel good initially. And what does good creates longer lasting, deep resounding peace and groundedness and centeredness. And the the way I define healing, it's not that you're going to ever arrive at a state where just everything is always fine. It's actually that you come to a place where you have a much greater bandwidth to move through the emotions of being human without getting stuck. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If you're new to Mind Love, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because gaining more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Have you ever found yourself repeating the same behaviors that you know are keeping you stuck? Like indulging in a Netflix binge instead of working on that goal that you've had for years or talking yourself out of something before you even start, or letting your addictions get the best of you. Or maybe you've had some success, but you just can't seem to figure out how to break through to the next level. You might be subconsciously self-sabotaging, and it's actually more common than you'd think. In my 20s, I was self-sabotaging for nearly a decade before I even realized what was happening. I just thought that I was a magnet for bad luck and intense experiences. But looking back, yes, there were situations that happened that were completely out of my control, but there were also thousands of small decisions that I made every single day that kept me in those cycles, that put me in situations that I would never get into now, that kept me from reaching my potential or sometimes from moving forward at all. And sometimes I still do it. I find myself making excuses instead of bold moves or I default to what's comfortable and familiar instead of what's challenging and uncertain. But now, I'm aware of these tendencies, so I don't stew in them as long. I'm also aware that I have more power than I used to believe I had. Because that's the thing. When you think life is happening to you, it will. You'll feel out of control, like a victim of your own circumstances. But when you're brave enough to admit that maybe you've played a role in every moment in your life, you'll start to see how many choices you actually have. Sometimes this teaching can be controversial or a form of toxic positivity. Coaches will say things like, your energy is attracting the bad things that happen to you. What I hate about that idea is that it's disempowering. And the whole point of learning to work with your mind is to find a way to think about something that feels empowering to you that helps you create different, more helpful patterns, which is why some methods of thought work for some people, but don't work for others. And in many cases, believing that you're attracting bad things just makes you feel like shit, which makes you even less likely to feel strong enough to make a different decision. The way I like to look at it is that 
I play a role in every experience. And whether I'm attracting something or some terrible person just found their way into my life accidentally, everything happens to teach me something or to help me evolve in some way. I had a ton of horrible experiences when I was younger. And maybe it's true that my soul found those experiences to help me reach a new potential. Or maybe my growth-seeking mindset is just determined to use everything for my highest good. But either way that I look at it, does it really matter as long as the way that I'm looking at it is helping me? Whichever came first, the chicken or the egg. My mindset has the ability to find the good and the growth in everything. And I know that when I neglect my mindset, it will likely be working against me. Because that's how the brain works. We have a natural negativity bias to keep us safe. We talk ourselves out of things to protect us from failure. We hold ourselves back to keep ourselves from looking foolish. We procrastinate to store our energy. I used to think that these were all signs that maybe success just wasn't meant for me. But now that I know that this is just how my brain works, it's not personal anymore. And I know that I need to consciously counteract my brain's natural tendencies so that I don't slip into self-sabotage. But how do we do this? That's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Brianna Wiest. She is the best-selling author of 101 Essays That Will Change the Way You Think, The Mountain Is You, and more. Her books have sold over 1 million copies around the world and are being translated into over 20 languages. She experienced her own struggles with self-sabotage that affected her finances, her mental health, and her emotions. And through her exploration, she discovered that self-destructive behaviors fulfilled basic human needs, including connection, safety, and love. So now she's helping us confront our self-sabotage patterns and break free from limiting behaviors. So three key things we will learn are how to identify our own self-sabotaging patterns, how to reframe fear so we don't hit a wall, and how to regain control when our emotions hijack our thinking. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Brianna Weiss to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Well, yeah, we've already been bonding, (laughs) pre-recording, decided that we're kindred spirits, but I already knew that we were based on the topic of your book, and it's all about self-sabotage. And I go back and forth between, you know, what I'm going to write on when I write a book within the next couple of years. And self-sabotage is one that comes up because... I used to be so good at it. (laughs) One of your areas of expertise. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mastered it till the point I could move on. So what inspired your desire to speak on self-sabotage? So, okay. Um, I think like most people, I realized that I'm such vicious self-sabotage cycles. And for me, I felt that mine were pretty dramatic, Um, financial, mental, emotional, and I'm just being absolutely honest. 
that I, I kind of either participated in this or contributed to this or in some ways completely created this. And, you know, that's not comfortable. You don't want to think that. You don't want to admit that. You always want to look at everything, you know, outside of you. That is the problem. And sure, there are always external elements that play in. But those are the things we we can't control. The one we can control is us. And so, you know, I call these these awakening moments the night that wakes you. And what I mean by that is it gets so dark and you feel so enclosed and so stuck in your life. You literally have no choice but to look up and say, okay, there has got to be another way. And for me, that moment was realizing that um, there was something within these self-sabotaging behaviors that I liked. There was something that I kind of got off on. I I enjoyed it. It was compulsive. Um, And that was so alarming to me and it felt so like gross and weird. And so the more I explored that, the more I realized that those behaviors that I just, you know, quote unquote, couldn't stop doing were meeting needs that I wasn't seeing. And those me- those needs, you know, typically had a lot to do with um, connection, safety and love. So I, I find I find the needs that self-sabotage meets to be a, a very simple, very basic a lot of the time. It's really not usually that complex. It usually comes down to one of those three things. But you know, as I was trying to read more about it, I realized that there was not really a kind of like a a book about self-sabotage. I mean, there obviously are, but there wasn't one that was like digestible or like, I don't know, for, for someone like me to read or someone like me to even understand or how I could apply to like my life. And I find that, um, you know, a lot of things when they relate to anything in psychology or wellness, they 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 can be incredibly complex. And sometimes we can like read them like a textbook and be like, okay, well, I don't even understand how to apply this to my life. When I sat down to write that book, I had had when anytime I'm doing anything creative, I wait for the uh, that moment of the title comes to me, the concept comes to me. In that moment, um, I can literally close my eyes and it's, I can feel the book in my hands. I can feel the exactly the way the cover is supposed to look. And I can, I can see everything like the first line to the last line, like in my mind's eye. And it's not until that point that I can feel and see the whole thing that it's ready to be written. But this book, the, the whole concept came to me. Lit- I mean, it was literally like a lightning flash. I was like, it's the mountain is you. And I remember I went out for coffee with one of my best girlfriends right after I got the idea. And I was like, I'm like, my eyes were like bulging out of my head. I was like leaning over the table over these like lattes. I was like, it's called the mountain is you. I was like, this is the book. And she was like, okay, (laughs) just like, all right, (laughs) calm down. I was like, I can't calm down. (laughs) And I didn't calm down. And then I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) That friend's probably like, well, it made it to the bestsellers list. I guess she wasn't kidding. (laughs) My, My best friend now is like, yeah, well, no, you didn't. You, you you needed to keep you needed to keep that momentum going, and she laughs and we laugh about that whole moment now. But I, you know, it was it was just such an impassioned moment for me because I knew. And something else that's special about this book, I, I well, you know, well, of course I think this, but I feel anyway, um, is is the timing in which it came out. And what's funny to me is that I must have started writing that at the end of 2018, and I one of the strongest gut feelings that I had was this book 
had to be out by the spring of 2020. And just based on when I had finished it and when it was going to be back from the printer, um, my publisher had set the, the date up, I think, June 1st, 2020, which was a little bit later than I even wanted it to be. But that was, I was like, that's the latest we can go. It, and I remember saying um, to this one person on my team over and over and over again, I was like, it must come out then. They're like, do you want to wait another year? Because then we could like set up all this stuff and like we could do it in 2020. And I was like, absolutely not. It must come out then. And li- I had no idea, of course, what was, was coming. But I have had so many people reach out and say that that book just landed, you know, right in their hands, like the absolute Melissa strong feeling that I had one, the topic, but two, the timing and when it needed to, to come and, and be received. Yeah. 2020. It's funny. Be, I'm rhyming now, but it was uh, <laughs> the first month I, I could feel myself self-sabotaging and it was kind of disappointing for me because I was in an such an opposite place before but I was grateful that I had an aw- enough of an awareness to see and only allow it to happen for like a few weeks because I just had this instinctual understanding I'm like the world is self-sabotaging right now and so I need to do the opposite if I want to see anything good happen from whatever is about to go down I need to be that first. I need to become that. And so it was pretty soon into 2020 that I decided to stop drinking and dive back wow, into the spiritual and have a baby. <laughs> so Wow. Oh, congratulations. That's, that's incredible. Um, so that's first of all, congratulations. And second of all, something that I always feel and think and say is there is no external challenge that we will ever be able to win if we are actively in a battle with our own selves. Like that is the first thing we have to to overcome. If we want to face the world um, and the challenges of the world and the hardships of the world and, you know, all, <laughs> all the things that a left field we might encounter on our journey and on our path, like we have to be on our own side first. Um, and, and it takes a lot of kind of like putting your ego aside to even be willing to get to that place of, okay, like I'm ready to surrender this resistance within my own self. I'm ready to put my ego aside, understand my real needs and 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 admit and acknowledge and, and take ownership of the ways that I have been participating in, you know, in, in certain, you know, aspects of self-sabotage in my own life. It takes a lot to get there. And a lot of people don't, don't even, and they don't feel even ready to. So that's, <laughs> that's step one. That's a big, big step. Just that's to me. That's you've arrived at the foot in the mountain, and and so many people, you know, are still lost in the woods, so to say. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family, or you have a work deadline. Or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. 
But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. And now for another episode of lies we've been told about our health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. One of the things that you teach is that self-sabotage often happens when we desire change. And I love this view of it because it seems so it seems so self-abusive and it is, mm-hmm. but that's not how we tend to view it when we're in it. Like you said, when I was self-sabotaging, there was so much of my self-sabotage that I felt like I liked. And I I'm not even talking about recent, I can take it back to my twenties when I was still bulimic and I knew that this was bad, but it was like, it was like I needed to do it. And it was like a guilty pleasure almost exactly rather right. than just like putting myself in pain, like self-harm. And that was even the case when I found myself drinking too much wine in the beginning of 2020. It's like, eh, another glass won't hurt. And then you're seeing all <laughs> the m- wine moms with wine television shows and they all make it sound so glamorous and like a normal thing to do and whatever it is. And and almost every piece of my self-sabotage was like that. It's like, oh, well, procrastination is a form of self-sabotage. And it's like, yeah, I have this dream or this goal and I am not making any progress on it, but you know, I deserve to just sit here. And so many of the words when we're engaging in the behavior of self-sabotage is like, I deserve this, or this won't Mm. hurt, or guilty pleasure. And really, when you look at it as it's a desire for change, then instead of the focus being on, well, I'd just rather do this one thing that's easier. It's like, no, you're feeling called to make a move and you're not doing it right now. And you're, you're, idolizing or or glorifying doing anything else so that you don't have to step into that change. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And um, 
a, a big part of the book is about understanding emotions. And so typically we categorize how we feel just into feels good and feels bad. And the way that we actually need to think of it is feels good and does good. So procrastination feels good, but productivity does good, even if it doesn't feel good initially. And what does good creates longer lasting, deep resounding peace and groundedness and centeredness because at the end of the day and the, the way I define healing in my opinion is that it's it's not that you're going to ever arrive at a state where just everything is always fine it's actually that you come to a place where you have a much greater bandwidth to move through the emotions of being human without getting stuck i think self sabotage really starts kicking up exactly like you were saying when it's time to bring in a change when it's time to evolve it's time to step into the next thing and this is because um, everything new until it is also familiar is going to feel wrong and bad. <laughs> it's going to feel uncomfortable when our container is stretching until it is familiar. Like in our subconscious minds, what we call good is familiar. We're just used to it and you can get used to, well, a lot. And that's, that can be a very, very positive thing and an incredibly negative thing. Because if you get used to and build your comfort zone around a highly self-sabotaging behavior, I think that the risk a lot of us run is that we begin to associate that be with that behavior with being a, a character trait. That is who I am. This is what I do when that's really, if you thought about it critically, you don't feel truly deep inside that that's who you are. That's just what keeps you in that small, comfortable container. In the book, before I go into, so I go into a debriefer about all of these emotions, such as uh, one of my favorite to talk about is, is jealousy. And so we perceive jealousy as kind of like an anger or a rage or a desire to take someone else kind of down a notch. But jealousy is actually the recognition of suppressed potential. So what, what we are jealous of in someone else is a perfect mirror for what is inside of us that we are not letting come forward. So before I, I go into that, that whole thing, I talk about Gay Hendricks' The Big Leap. And I, I would hope to anyone listening, looking for a reading recommendation, The Big Leap is a sister book, I would like to think. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm declaring it um, to The Mountain Is You. Um, the Big Leap was so profoundly changed my life. And in it, Gay talks about your upper limit, which is basically your <laughs> the amount of happiness and good feeling you are comfortable experiencing. What he talks about and what he teaches is that as soon as anything comes into your life, anything, that surpasses your upper limit, you are going to unconsciously self-sabotage to bring yourself down to, again, the comfort zone, the familiarity. And so throughout our entire lives, we will be consistently surpassing our upper limits. And when I say upper and, and growth, I don't just mean um, like forever expansion outward. I also mean a deepening inward. I also mean there's new love in your life. I also mean you want to go to a deeper level of connectivity within your relationships or with your relationship to yourself. You want to, you want to deepen it and more, be, be more present for your experience of life. And I think that sometimes when we, we talk about surpassing upper limit, we can think of like just new, big, crazy, amazing things coming in. And it's definitely that, but it's, it's also inverse as well. It's also when we weren't ready to go inward and feel gratitude and mindfulness and all of that. Everything new and peaceful and beautiful, um, it's going to make us wary until it is familiar. And, and we have to stay ex extremely mindful of this, all of us forever, that, you know, our, our, the backside of our animal, you know, instinctive brains, they just want to keep us safe. That's all it is. Familiarity, it's just safe. 
And so what we have to show that, you know, whatever you want to call it, you can call it like the child within you as well. You need to show the child within you that number one, the thing that they think is safe could really be the thing that's hurting them more than anything. And yes, it might, the discomfort might be more acute while you, while you exit that cycle, but it's going to lead you to a more lasting peace as opposed to where you are right now. Is a, is a constant, slightly numbed out discomfort that never truly gets resolved. Um, so it's kind of lingers and goes on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> I have so much to say about what you just said. First of all, I love Gay Hendrix. Gay Hendrix oh, is on, me too. on Mind Love back in episode 137. So listeners, if you want to tap into some of that, it's a great episode. But I so relate to this idea of the unfamiliar being scary and not even realizing that it's fear that's holding me back. And I have probably said this on every episode lately because it's just blowing my mind every day that I had a baby in 2021 and just the version of me that's evolved since then has been quite astounding because I didn't realize how much I was selling myself short until I had to show up in a new way. I had to get up when I had the flu to take care of a baby. I had to give up when get up when I want to scroll on social media. I had to get up. I have to feed this guy. Like <laughs> I have to do these things that it's easy to deny myself, you know, like skip this lunch, skip this goal, whatever it is, but I, you can't do that when you're taking care of a kid. And so because I've been able to do that, I, there was a period of time where I needed to adjust into that role. I was just so overwhelmed that it was hard to also show up in the same way of my business. But now that I'm adjusted, especially recently with the deadline of a new baby coming in a couple of weeks, I have been just, I want to be lazy. I mean, I'm nine months pregnant at this point, but I'm like, no, you have a deadline. Get up. Like, who knows what it's going to be like after a couple of weeks, it could come any day now, you know? <laughs> so right. I, I've been getting up and doing stuff and I've shown myself consistently that this is actually who I am and I wasn't allowing yes. myself to be. And I have done this before in sprints of time. However, it wasn't long enough to really drill in a self-belief. I believed mm. that I could do it in sprints, but I didn't believe I could do it consistently because yeah, I do get burnt out. Uh, and I have methods worked in to not get burnt out, like actually taking <laughs> weekends off and, and self-care methods and whatever. But I didn't have to do that back then because I'm like, oh, well, I'm just getting this course out. Let me like grind for a month and then I can just take a break for however long versus now it's like, okay, well, what's the next thing? Well, now I'm focusing on prepping for the home birth. Now I'm focusing on this. Now I'm focusing on redoing the house. And <laughs> it's just, there's always something. And whereas before that would have seemed exhausting, now at the end of every day, I feel so fulfilled because I've stepped into this version of myself that I have never allowed myself to see. And I know that you talk about how so much of our self-sabotage stems from fear. Well, all of it stems from fear. There was a book I was reading, Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willink, mm -hmm. and he says the same thing, but he adds this extra layer of... Uh, that it's the fear of the work it takes to succeed in those situations. And yeah. I can totally resonate with that because I didn't realize until I allowed myself to become something different or to become who I've always been that I was doubting that I could sustain certain levels of success or I was doubting 
that I could sustain certain levels of energy. And in doubting that I had the potential for success or energy or whatever it is that I'm rejecting, I'm literally just manifesting that into my life. I'm just Mm -hmm. creating a version of me who is tired after this amount of time. And I'm not saying to work yourself to the bone or anything like that. But for me, I am realizing how to really tap into myself and say, is this possible? Of course it is. Versus, is this possible? I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't do it. And all of these things that follow, because who wants to be cutting off possibility before they even start? Well, yeah. So have you ever seen that or read that quote that self-belief is not an affirmation? It's having a mountain of evidence that proves your potential to you. That's all I'm, I, that's all I kept thinking about is as you were speaking, which is like every time you show up for yourself and do the thing you think you cannot do, even in the smallest ways each day, you're adding to that mountain of evidence. And, you know, when you eventually you're going to wake up and be like, oh, gosh, I, I mean, I have proven to my own self that I can do this. Um, and there was a word you used that stuck out to me, um, adjusted, adjusted. That's this is an important word. This is an, important to this whole journey. Um, something else I talk about in the book is micro shifts. So we we think that our lives change as we move through breakthroughs, right? Those big aha, oh my gosh, the book is going to be called The Mountain Is You Moments. But that's really not what that's really not what changes. That's really not what creates. It's it's these tiny, almost undetectable shifts that we either do or do not do every single day of our lives that adds up into that fundamental base comfort zone. And so something I, I talk about in the book is if you, and I, and I did, and I did this, this is what I literally did to get myself out of one of the deepest holes. Like I, 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 you know, I was, I remember being so depressed. I couldn't walk. I mean, I literally couldn't walk. And I, I know that sounds like I'm being hyperbolic and I'm not, I, it felt too much to put one foot in front of the other. That's how low I was. And of course there were so many other symptoms cropped up, you know, around being in that state. So I remember I would go to the gym and I would walk on the treadmill for five minutes on like a three, <laughs> like flat <laughs> for five minutes. And literally that is all I would do. And I would come back the next day and I would do it again. I would come back the next day and do it again. And every day for a month, I walked on the treadmill for five minutes. And you know what started to happen? Five minutes effortlessly became 10 and then it became 15, and then it became 20. And one of my biggest moments I was so proud of, I forget what year this must have been, oh gosh, 2012, this is a while ago, is I ran a mile on that treadmill, maybe seven months later, ran it. And I know (laughs) probably to fitness people, they're like, you know, that doesn't sound that crazy. To me, that was hiking Everest. And I was like, if I can do this by building up little bit by little bit, I can do anything. And I found that to be true of so many things, just like writing a book. It was like, it wasn't that breakthrough moment of this is the concept that created it. Yes, yes, that it was amazing and inspiring and powerful. But what made it was showing up every day and crafting a few more lines and a few more lines and one, one paragraph at a time. And sometimes I think it can be so overwhelming when we have these mountains in front of us. Like, well, how am I ever going to completely fundamentally change all I've known and, and all I've ever been and, and completely change my life? It's like, don't don't even worry about that right now. Um, worry about making the absolute smallest change that you can make today because it will, it sets you on a trajectory. It sets change in motion. And, and slowly you're going to start building that mountain of evidence that really 
you, you can confront what's uncomfortable. You can move beyond it. And you start connecting to that voice inside of you because there, there's, there's a voice inside of us. I really believe there's Atlas inside all of us. There's a guide inside us all. And that voice that is telling you, no, get up, prep now, you know, um, you know, keep, keep going. This is not who you really are. No, you need to walk every day. I'm very interested in that voice and might even want to write a book about it one day. That voice, I, I think it's called a lot of different things, our higher selves, or our intuition, but that voice that sees something we, we maybe don't, that holds hope when we've lost it, that, that keeps pushing us when we completely want to give up. There's that little something inside of us. I, I definitely felt inside myself for all of those years. I would look in the mirror and there was this little voice that said, this is not who you are. And you're going to do something amazing with your life one day, but not like this or not. What was that voice, you know, and how how powerful it's been to connect to that? And by the way, I, that voice runs my entire life now. I, my conscious mind, I understand, is 10%. But that intuition, that's that's everything. And I've learned to trust it and I've learned to listen. Um, even when, again, my conscious mind maybe is like, oh, I don't feel like it and I'm tired or, you know, whatever excuse I'm making up that day. But but listening to that deep, deep inner guidance that's always moving us in the direction I think are at some level our souls intended to go in, in this life. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right. And one of the biggest barriers for so many people is that they are so used to giving more power to their conscious mind, listening mm -hmm. to the conscious mind. It's so much louder that that's the familiar, just like we talked about. Yes. And so then this other little voice in the beginning, maybe they barely hear. They don't even realize it's a voice because, yeah, they want this thing. Yeah, they might walk by this person and get jealous, like you said. Yeah, they might like see this home and be like, 
I wish I could live there, but their conscious mind is, I will never have a house like that. I will never have a relationship like that. I will never have a business like that, whatever it is, because that's what they've been feeding. That's what I was feeding for a really long time. And it creates this, um, basically, that conscious mind is the patterns that we allow to continue over and over again, the neural pathways. And so it's like the more that I gave that voice power, the more often that I would hear it, the more often it would come up because it was such a deeply ingrained habit. And instead I'm thinking, oh, this is my, my inner guidance is really negative. <laughs> you know? Right. Yes. 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 This is another chapter. I talk about the difference between in, intrusive thoughts and intuition. And so we have all of these conflicting voices and senses and, and nudges and impulses going <laughs> going around inside of us at all times. And something that I struggled with so much was, you know, I thought my intuition was just listening to any feeling in my body. And so I was very confused because I was like, well, I feel like my intuition is telling me that I'm a worthless piece of garbage. So what do you mean? <laughs> so I was confused <laughs> by the whole concept. But that that was not my intuition. Those those were those were emotions created by thoughts, created by thoughts that, you know, I had kind of gathered from certain experiences and takeaways that I had from those experiences compounded over time. Um, you know, all these mini traumas, well, small and large ones all together. And and you are so you know, that it is so powerful to think about at the beginning that little quiet, calm intuition voice. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not a sensation in the body. It's not, you know, attached to a thought or an achievement, how quiet it can be, how drowned out it can be. And that process of, you know, beginning to release everything else until we can hear it. I, I mean, I actually, I just written this down a few days ago as a note to myself. Um, every single time you make a heart centered decision, your heart center strengthens and it becomes easier and easier and easier to do. And I've found this to be so incredibly true that when I speak my truth and live in my truth and move in my truth, when I'm confronted with like a conversation where I just need to speak the truth, I find it easier. For example, I find it easier and easier and easier to do. And so that built, we can build that up basically just as much as we can build up our, you know, belief and reliance in those negative voices inside of us, because really what we pay attention to and what we engage with is what we empower. And so when you're in a spiral, when you're in that very low place where all you can hear and see and feel is that negativity. The way out is to disengage. You can see it and feel it, and it might be very overwhelming, but you need to not act on it. Disengage. What you engage with is what you empower. You talk about how we develop unhealthy fears. And I love how you have articulated this idea of me skills, which is the mental or emotional skills. And so you you teach how we develop these unhealthy fears when we lack the mental or the emotional skills necessary to handle situations. And when I read that, that was like an aha moment for me because, you know, it is interesting that some people are able to just sort of blaze a trail and they don't get caught up on the things that I got caught up on and or other people stay stuck for their whole lives. And when you just look at it as like, oh, well, you just need to develop the mental or the emotional skills necessary to handle the situation, then the path yep. forward becomes so easy. And you you had called out one more thing that our emotions hijack our thinking. 
Mm-hmm. And so then we lack the me skills, the mental or emotional skills to actually regain control. And so it's like when those two things are happening, either we don't have the skills mentally or emotional in the first place, or we get we give so much power to our emotions that we can't access those things. It's like the fight or flight or the we just never learned it type thing. Yeah, it yeah takes, and, we, and we didn't learn it. And that's yeah. a really important point. We didn't learn it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so it, but for me, there was something, I like breathed the sigh of relief there. And which is funny because it was almost like my past self breathing a sigh of relief. Because mm. yes, I've done all this work in the last 10 years to develop these me skills that I didn't even necessarily, I know I was developing <laughs> at the time. I didn't have the words to think of it in that way, but slowly but surely I've been able to look at things a different way or feel a different way or find my calm and chaos. And so then all of a sudden I'm able to approach situations I wasn't before But I wish somebody had given me those words 10 years ago, 15 years ago, because there was just a really long time that I felt broken. Whereas Mm. you don't go to an advanced math class and feel broken because you don't understand yet. You know, you're just like, oh, well, I just need to finish this course. I just need to like understand where to access this knowledge and then put it into practice enough times that it becomes the familiar. That's well, first of all, I'm so so happy and flattered that I could give you those words. That means a lot to me. And second, it's yeah, I mean, it's when we think about having you know great relationships, it's a skill we practice. Uh, having a high emotional intelligence skill we practice, mindfulness, groundedness, exercise, anything, literally anything. it's it's a skill we practice. and i I think that i when you're when you were talking about that passage I had written, I actually think I was thinking of. Um, at the beginning of my career, I was, I don't know if this will resonate. I hope this resonates maybe <laughs> with someone out there. I was scared of everything. Like I was scared of like how to like pay my taxes and like start a bit. I was scared of everything and I didn't know how to do anything and thought I was going to do everything wrong. And I realized that the, the lack of those skills is just what was holding me back. And all I had to do was just learn how to do these things <laughs> And I would be fine. <laughs> and and that's like all, that's all it is with anything that you're trying to build or create or become. It's like you, you want to be a healthier person. It's like, that's a skill set. Becoming a healthier person is a collection of skills that you have not put enough practice into for them to become default to you. And I think when we think about it like that, it can kind of help us alleviate some of like maybe the embarrassment or the guilt or the fear of what's wrong with me. It's like, nothing's wrong with you. Just got to put in some reps. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, we don't go to the gym and look at the 100-pound weight and we're like, oh, my God, I'm such a failure. I can't lift, lift that. Right. We of course. We right. clearly know that, like, you got to work to that. We we build to that. <laughs> right. Yes. And and with, with, with everything in life, we build to that. But you you brought up another super important point. I don't even think I touched in this on this in the book, but I should have, which is that no, we don't learn this. This is fundamental to understanding. No, there's no class in school on relationships or parenting or emotional intelligence or like running a business. And that's wild to me. The more and more I reflect on it, and I have a lot of thoughts on that, you know, for another time, but no, we're not taught this and it's nobody's fault specifically, but it is just something to notice in society that we're kind of left to go in blind on the biggest and most defining aspects and and elements of who we are and who we will become. 
you know, we, we leave school knowing, you know, Pythagorean theorem, which is, you know, great, but you know, that's not going to define our lives, our ability to like self-regulate emotions and have relationships with other people. That's going to literally define the quality of our lives in every single way, shape or form. And so it's, you know, some of us get to a point typically out of pain where we (laughs) realize that we need to kind of start a self-study and we begin the self-development journey. But I would, I would love to know a world where we started teaching these skills you know, earlier, earlier on and how, and just helping people understand their brains and their bodies better. So they're not, you know, not always going to war with them. If I had understood that my brain in, in keeping me small was just trying to keep me safe, I would have had so much more compassion for myself. And, you know, over the course of my journey, whenever those fear feelings kick in, I realized my body wants to feel safe. So I do something different to make it feel safe. But not avoid my big dreams and goals. That's, you know, staying, staying in my tiny bubble where, where I, you know, or in the past where I wasn't happy, that's not safe. That's self, that's slow and almost undetectable self-destruction. That's not safe. So in the moment it was about, you know, regulating my nervous system and then moving forward and also realizing, and these aren't my words and shoot, I forgot where I saw them. They're really good though. Just the state of your nervous system is the way that you see your life. And I've completely noticed this to be true. Um, If an opportunity comes in and I'm dysregulated and I feel anxious, I'll be scared of it. I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I'm not sure about this. If I feel regulated and grounded and I have, you know, been keeping up with exercise and meditation and getting outside and, you know, all the things that help me personally, you know, stay on track, the same or a similar opportunity could come in and I'd be like, wow, that's so cool. I'm for sure doing it. And I notice the difference in how I react to the unknown when my nervous system is either in a state of fear or comfort. <laughs> and it's very, very different. Um, and so it's, it's, not, it's not the opportunity that has changed. It's, it's just the regulation of, of my own nervous system that's, that's shifted. I, again, have so much I want to dive into there. And <laughs> I, I have totally been that nervous system alignment learning how to deal with it (laughs) has been like this great awakening in my 30s, which is crazy. Because like you said, we aren't taught this stuff, which is why I'm so excited about like the next generation, because (laughs) we have right now we have so much access to information. And so you better be damn sure that I'm going to be teaching my children how to regulate their nervous systems from an early age. Because then what so many of us do is we expect the circumstance to change the way we feel about it. And so even people that have a little bit of this knowledge, like, oh, follow your inner guidance or whatever, then they're presented with this opportunity that they is unfamiliar, but could be exciting. And, but then they're scared of it. And then they don't realize that they're scared of their own success or they're scared of mm. the work that it takes to succeed in that situation or, or whatever it is. And so then they're like, well, maybe this is a sign that I shouldn't do it. Oh, it's too big for me or whatever it is. Versus let's first regulate our nervous systems and then see how we feel about the opportunity and then visualize the good parts, you know, like really do a pros and cons list, whatever. See if it aligns with your goals. There's so many more productive ways to decide if something is a yes or a no, but it starts with that regulating of the nervous system and like you said, it's not our fault that we haven't learned this. 
now I have this information. And so I consider it my responsibility to teach my children this Mm -hmm. so that the next generation flourishes in a new way. And yes, maybe it's nobody's fault, but it also could be that in 1902, when our school system was created, (laughs) $129 million was poured in by a man who also said, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. And so we still have that exact (laughs) same school system where we there's a reason that we aren't learning the most basic life skills and we're learning to follow a bell and sit in a chair and take standardized testing that doesn't really actually help anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. That's a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could do a deep dive on, on that for a while. But no, it's it's really interesting how you perceive opportunities or things that come in or ideas or business or, or whatever you're doing, or even to me, writing a book or what, you know, whatever it is you're, that's on your journey, starting a podcast, you either perceive it as, you know, forward momentum in your life or something that's terrifying. And again, it's not that the thing has changed, but your perception has changed based on your regulation skills. Um, and so something I like to do is what I call practice the pause. And whenever I feel reactive to something, I I pause and I step away from it and I say, okay, we're going to take a minute here and we're going to come back down to center and then we're going to come back to it and see how we feel and see what we think then. And I notice that, you know, once I feel grounded again, I see it completely differently, but the thing itself has not changed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. One of my favorite books uh, a few years back was Ryan Holiday's The Obstacle is the Way. Oh, one of my favorites too. It's so good. And, but he says similar things with a slightly more masculine energy. So it's like, it, it just gives, I love when I hear the same message told in different ways, because that's when I'm like, yes, it's like hits me different every single time. I'm like, I already know that, but you use different words and I like it. (laughs) That that book 
was life-changing to me. And it's based on that Marcus Aurelius quote, um, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. And I actually have a post-it next to my computer that says, the block initiates the breakthrough when it's uncomfortable and door until you're dancing again. And that's just my like, you know, way of, of, of reminding myself of that exact same sentiment, which is that, you know, when we have the, you know, a, a challenge come in, it, it often initiates us to begin the journey of seeking out, you know, the skills, resources, tools, connections, whatever it is, self-development that we need. Um, to move to the next phase of our lives. And something that was deeply transformative to me for the, the last decade that I've been on this journey, that I still, you know, it's, it's one of my go-to things and kind of my mental emotional toolbox, so to say, which is whatever's happening around me or inside of me, and especially if it is uncomfortable or seems like odd or like strange or like doesn't sit right, I stop and say, what is this trying to teach me? What is the point here? What is this trying to catalyze? What is this trying to awaken? And I usually find an answer. And I usually see the direct connection of, whoa, okay, yes, in this moment, this is an intense learning opportunity for deeper compassion. This is another learning opportunity for, you know, X, Y, Z. And um, the way that I say it, I think at the end of the book is, one day the mountain that's in front of you will be so far behind you, uh, it won't even be visible in the difference, which, in, in the distance, excuse me, which of course means, you know, the, the challenge that you're going through right now, it's going to be over one day and you'll probably forget about it and barely ever think about it again. Um, but the second part of that is, but the person you you become in learning to get over it, that will stay with you forever. And that is the point of the mountain. And so the, that those skills you develop, that deepening, um, that connection with yourself, you know, all of that, you carry all of that forever, forever and ever and ever. You can't lose that. That's always with you now. Um, and that is the point of, of going through those challenges in our lives. It's not just getting over them or through them. It's who we become in the process and how that person approaches the next path, the next chapter, the next phase, the next relationship, whatever it is. Yes. And I remember just reading that book and and he talks about how tragedies basically shake us out of our comfort zone. And in doing that, it reveals new choices in life that might not have been possible before. And in yes. that, then we start to uncover our strengths. And in that, we find a little bit of a new meaning in life. And so it ends up redefining everything, tragedy, chaos, failure, because he talks about how failure is essentially the most effective way to learn because it prompts you to yes. see things in a new light and develop ideas that you wouldn't have thought of otherwise. And I've sat with this for a while because there are people in my life that have experienced tragedy and they don't seem to be sort of lifted to a new level. And what I've discerned is that it's the whole idea of whether or not you embrace the challenge or you resist mm -hmm. it. And there are mm -hmm. people that, you know, they experience one tragedy and they resist it forever. You know, they are in the victim mindset. They're in the, which I know well, judgment. And they, and they hang on to it forever. They hang yeah. on to it forever too. Yes. And I did that for a while. I did that for a little bit longer than I should have or than I wish I would have. I guess, you know, that's just how it happens. So I can't even say that. But I, I just know what it feels like to sit in it is all I'm trying to say. And yeah. versus now, when something comes my way, yes, I'm human. I will feel resistance. And sometimes I forget to step into a new perspective. But there are too many triggers for me now because I'm too aware and I'm like, what am I doing here? And instead, a lot of times my meditation will become 
something more along the lines of rather than like, ah, I hate this. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to deal with this. I have two words that come to mind and it's becoming or realizing. And so I'll kind of just shift through like, who am I becoming through this? Or what am I realizing? And I go back and forth between it because sometimes the word becoming can can trigger this state of not enoughness yet versus realizing. It's like, you know, you already are this. This process is just helping you realize this. You already have this strength. You're just tapping into it now. Yes. And so the two of those combined almost create this energy of transformation for me. First of all, that's so incredibly powerful. And it's because you've truly adopted the growth mindset. And that's the thing that, you know, is not, it's an, I think it might be innate to some people, but for most of us, it's something we have to come to realize. Similarly, a question I will ask myself when, when something's going on is, in what way is this here to help me? And so it'll get my mind started trying to churn and trying to think of basically in what way can I use this experience to create something beautiful, powerful, enlivening? And I, I would say that my biggest example of that in my life is all of my books. Um, every line in, in every single one was rooted in something I thought I couldn't get over. And so journaling and writing was my tool for, uh, still is. Um, and I would basically just write out to myself the way out. And then that that that's what the, the books became, which of course, you know, changed my whole life. And I connect with all these people and, you know, of course on and on and on, but you know, it didn't, it really didn't start, you know, from a place of like just waking up one day being like, I'll write a book about this, <laughs> you know, like all of the, you know, all of these instances in my life, I see them now as these awakenings over and over and over and over again. And awakening is a good word because it's what you're saying, which is that, that strength and that ability and that inherent wisdom that was in me that was already in me. And this experience came to me to remind me and bring my conscious awareness to the fact that it is in me. And so we, uh, we have to take, because right, you said, you know, you're human, we're all human to prop and hard and sad things happen. But then, and, and I think everyone is different, but I feel like in your intuition, you know, you know, when you're done processing and you've moved over into wallowing, and you've moved over into this this thing that happened is going to be something that is my reason why I don't ever move on and have any other experience in my life. And when that happens, that's definitely the call to awareness, usually probably the call to bring in outside help. Um, but just to realize that so many people, everyone, I guess everyone throughout all of time who has ever in, in, inhabited a human body has faced challenges, difficulties, tragedies, whatever, similar to yours, adjacent to yours, exactly the same as yours. And you are not alone. And this is happening not because you are broken or cursed or, you know, because the world hates you, but because you are human. To look at this and, I'm, and you know, I'm going to see that this happened to me or around me or, you know, whatever. And I'm going to choose to let this deepen me and mature me into someone who has a greater understanding or is more grounded, is more appreciative, who is stronger, someone who is going to pursue a skill set that ensures this doesn't happen again or, you know, whatever it is. But that's, I think, when we are at our most empowered is when we we take a circumstance and we we choose to turn it into something and it, we alchemize it. And it's not going to do it on its own. Another way that I've said this too in my new book, um, The Pivot Year, I, there's a page in which I'm talking about how wisdom is the byproduct of self-inquiry um, and not time because time can 
can pass and be unused. But but by asking both the simple questions and the hard questions over and over and over again until we arrive at answers we didn't even know we had inside of us, but that were there all along. Yes. I keep thinking about uh, different people in my life and and how things show up for them. And mostly because I tend to be the one people come to when they're dealing with things because uh, of what I do. But um, what's, what I find interesting is it took hindsight for me to see some of my self-sabotaging. Mm. Even, even in the, the moment, even the ones that should have been really clear, I had so many excuses for those behaviors that I could convince myself it wasn't any form of self-sabotage and it's what I should be doing. And I see this in lives of like, you know, my past self of being, having an eating disorder, being addicted to things, partying too much, doing drugs, whatever I was doing. And I also see it in people that stay with a career that they hate or accept opportunities Mm -hmm. that they don't, that they already know isn't exactly what they want but then yes and then they'll complain about it but then by the end of the conversation it's like well maybe this is exactly how it should be and I'm like well is this what you were trying to call into your life is this what you imagine like how many excuses are you having to make to see this opportunity fit into your bigger goals (laughs) you know what I mean and so yeah I think that's go ahead no go ahead sorry oh (laughs) no uh I was just wondering how how can we help people determine whether or not it's self-sabotage or whether it is a legitimate excuse? So, okay. Is any excuse legitimate? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I imagine probably some are, but I think, I think everyone kind of knows inside whether or not, you know, we're talking about a real, a, a real limit or a perceived one. Um, I think the first question to ask people is, is this true or is this self-sabotage? And I think that sometimes kind of going at it directly helps them really kind of think critically about it. And they know the answer, whether or not they are ready to accept the answer. And I find that a lot of the time when we come to people or go to people to ask for advice or, you know, what we're really looking for is what we are ready to hear be reflected back to us. And sometimes I would say, what we're maybe not ready to hear, but deep down know to be reflected back to us. And I think there's something interesting about who we choose to go to um, in those moments, because we can go to people in our lives who we know are going to, um, you know, be, be affirmative and um, maybe, maybe coddle us a little, but aren't going to, you know, push us. And then sometimes we go to people who we know, okay, if I bring this problem to this person, they're going to help me break through it. And so Something else I like to ask um, anyone in my life is, are you looking for support or are you looking for answers? Um, Because I think we can't force people to have the breakthrough before they're ready, but we can ask them, I think, questions that inspire the self-reflection that can get them there a little bit, a little bit faster. Um, And honestly, by, you know, I think everyone kind of deep down knows, even if they're not consciously aware of it you know, this, this limit isn't real. They know when it's not, is what I'm saying. Like you can sense it. And, and when it is real, you know, it's, it's about working around it. It's not, it's because if there's, if there's some dream or big desire or hope or something beautiful on the other side, it's not about just, you know, being a fatalist and saying, okay, well, 
I guess that's it. It's like, all right, well, okay, if that's there, no problem. But how are we going to build around this? How can we work around this? How can we coexist with this? How can we set a boundary? You know, it's always about bringing us back to to our and, and reminding them of their inner power, even if it's in the smallest possible way. Can you do this little thing right now? And then we remind them and reawaken them to that power. Um, and I think the, the other most powerful and important thing that we can do is to live in our truth and to um, move through our self-sabotage as much as we feel ready and able. Um, I've noticed that in my life, every time I've made these big shifts and jumps, without even, I didn't even, obviously this wasn't even my intention, but I realized it would have this very strong ripple effect on everyone else around me. People would see me, you know, doing what I really felt called to do. And it would kind of awaken in them this desire of, I want to do what I feel called to do. And then they would see me, you know, make a path out of nothing, out of, you know, basically like there was no way I was going to ever, you know, figure out how to be an author full time in my 20s. Like that's like just like a wild thing. And um, when, when you do something that people perceive to be impossible, it starts to make them question what impossibility truly is. And it makes them start to look for, you know, the, you know, uh, do you know the third door? Yes, um, the third Alex door possibility. Yeah, yeah, I love him. He's one yeah. of fr- a friend yep. ish. Yeah, ish. <laughs> yeah, we um, run in the same circles. Hung out a couple times. He was on episode forty-seven <laughs> of Mind Love. But yeah, we don't like text. Hey, hey Alex. <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 looking for the third door. It's so when we're stuck, we always think it's well, I have to go this way or this way. Well, what's what else is what else is here for us to choose that maybe we don't even realize? Yes, and. That's so funny. I was just having this conversation. Again, it seems like lately I'm in such alignment that everything I say is reflected back to me immediately like the Instagram algorithm does when you they overhear you talking. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I have just recently posted on Instagram because my husband and I for a while have tried to remember as often as possible, like, I'll tell him. I just need you to listen to me right now because he's so quick to jump mm-hmm. on the solution, <laughs> like giving me different ways to do this. And I'm like, this is not what I want at all. It, I'm so resistant to a solution. But I saw something on Instagram that was uh, the wording I just liked instead was, are you looking for comfort or are you looking for solutions? And yes. it's just so true because it's something that has drilled into me on a new level having a toddler because that is what they need first always, you know, he doesn't understand any of the solutions, you know, he, he first needs to feel like he's being heard and, and held. And then we can go into solutions on a very basic level. (laughs) And so it's like the best practice, though, because there's so many things that we learn to do for children. And we don't realize that we're just grown up versions of that, you know, (laughs) like just a different Mm. word choice, but it's the actual same needs. We still have that inner child that's crying for help sometimes when we are reaching for something that's going to numb what we feel because we didn't know how to express that or how to have an outlet for that. It didn't feel safe. And so to have like that warm blanket to fall into with other people or with ourselves And that's one of the things that I really started to learn around the middle of my healing journey, probably about five years ago, was understanding the concept of 
reparenting myself. And it was never something that I looked into before because on paper, I had great parents, you know, but previous generations didn't have the tools that we have now. And even if you had the best parents, the most evolved parents, no one is going to know your needs more than you do if you allow yourself to. I think a lot of us don't ever allow ourselves to <laughs> get to the root of our true needs, but actually asking, well, what it, what is it that I'm trying to fill with this glass of wine? What is it that I'm trying to fill mm. by scrolling through social media for another hour? You know, like, what am I trying to avoid? And so it's like this combination of like, what fear am I trying to avoid? And what am I actually yearning to feel? And can I find a healthy way to give that to myself right now, a sustainable way? And the more that I do that, the less I need these outside self-sabotaging mechanisms, these I don't want to numb anymore because that uncomfortable feeling is actually the pathway to who I'm meant to become, to what I'm meant to be and what I'm actually wanting to feel. And I was just talking to Sarah Landon who channels spirit and she had this quote that was, you know, what you feel is what you're contributing to the world. And so it's kind of this extra piece of motivation where it's like, you know, like that discomfort being willing to step into the discomfort is really just being willing to step into the unfamiliar. And can I, sit there long enough or play in that space long enough to make it become the familiar and then see what lies there. And when I, the more that I'm willing to do that, then the more expansive my whole life, my whole being becomes. And that's when I feel like I'm really radiating possibility for everyone around me. It's really, really well said. And you're absolutely right that we, we can't override those emotions. We have to process them and processing them is validating them. And so it's beginning with, I understand why you're frustrated. I understand why you're upset. It's, it's, it, it makes perfect sense why you feel the way you do. And when we override the emotions and, and you know, reach for a coping mechanism so we don't feel them, what we're actually missing out on other than the discomfort is the deep truth buried within them. Um, we were, you know, we had briefly touched on, you know, one of, one of the, you know, quote unquote, negative emotions that we misunderstand jealousy before, if we don't let ourselves fully process the jealousy, if we don't, you know, validate it, if we just say, if we don't stop to say, yes, okay, I see that you feel very just most of us don't even take that moment to validate, we can't go deeper and ask why, what is here? What is the truth very deep down inside of that, that again, will forge that path forward. And sometimes when we are in denial of what we really want and what we really desire and who we really are, when we don't, when we don't know those things, we can start with what we fear and what we envy. We can start there because sometimes when it's really deeply buried, we can start with kind of the, the contrasted emotions, the shields that we've built around all of that. And then we can start asking ourselves questions to move through those emotions instead of just reacting to those emotions, just finding any way to make them go away. We can stop and say, everything on the emotional spectrum is trying to guide me towards something in some way and keep questioning it. Go, uh, oh, there's a, it's going seven layers deep, but I used to practice this all the time. So you start with the, the, you know, the surface level emotion, and then you ask yourself seven times, either why or what. So, you know, 
why do you feel this way? Or what does this mean? Or, you know, whatever it is, but you go down seven layers deep. And, and typically after you've asked yourself seven times, you arrive at some kind of very foundational truth. It's Dean Gracioso. I love that tip as well. <laughs> it's yes. Okay. It Thank helped. you. You filled in so many blanks for me today. Thank you so much. <laughs> it's uh, that practice has helped me find layers of myself I didn't know existed, find hidden motivations, find ways to accomplish goals, find my purpose, and even figure out ways to create content online. Like it is one of my most yeah. practical practices. Uh, but you're right because usually we don't even consider going beyond the first layer. And when you think of it that way, it's kind of mind-blowing how many layers of ourselves that we have been unwilling or just unknowing haven't known yet was possible to explore. And so what I find fun is I the beginning of any sort of self-growth. At first it at first it feels like euphoric, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I can just focus on gratitude instead. This is awesome. And then if you're anything like me, you hit a wall. And then I'm like, this is hard, like shadow work and stuff. Like, Not saying that it was all this technical, but I'm like, oh, well, I can't ignore this part of it. Or, or I've got to sit in the discomfort. That's clearly uncomfortable, whatever it is. But over time, maybe it's because I've made this path the familiar, like we've talked about. It is so exciting for me. It's it's like the beginning of an ayahuasca journey. Yeah, I'm always a little nervous, but I know that who I'm going to be on the other side of that is going to be so much deeper than I ever realized that I already was. And that's the same approaching any of this stuff. Like, okay, well, why am I self-sabotaging? What me skills am I deficient in? What has yet to be explored? Where have I been stopping myself when there are six more layers that I could possibly delve into? Mm -hmm. It becomes exciting. Like, it's like, oh gosh, I'm so much deeper than I ever gave myself credit for. I have so much wisdom, more wisdom than I've ever allowed myself to see. And then through it, rather than it just becoming like the, oh my gosh, I'm broken and there's so many pieces to put back together, it becomes this depth of playground, <laughs> you know, where it's like, oh, wow, that's who you are. Oh, that's who I am. This is this is who I've never allowed myself to see. And then all of a sudden I have all of these new self-beliefs that just support what I've always wanted in life versus what i have been allowing myself to believe that I could never be, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And I think that it's possible for us all to reframe in in a way that, okay, instead of feeling, you know, scared by this, what if we could get excited by it and realize this is trying to awaken me to something bigger or deeper. It's trying to awaken me to the next thing in my life. And how instead of, you know, circling going in circles you know, focusing on, you know, what, what hurts and what I'm struggling with, what, what bigger thing is trying to come through me right now? What bigger thing is trying to be created in my life right now? And I think every, every time we embark on a new chapter, a new phase, a new venture, um, the exploration of a new place of our souls that we hadn't seen before, it often has to begin with your new life is going to cost you your old one. Um, There's a shedding of the old self and a rebirth. And I think that um, in, in this life, in one lifetime, we are reborn. We are many different people in a lifetime and, and it's giving yourself permission to go through that, that shedding 
process and realize that, yeah, the shedding is not fun. Um, it hurts, but it's, it's birthing something else. And, and beyond that, you're not shedding your old self and stepping into a new one again, because there's anything wrong with you. It's because this is what it means to evolve. And this is what it means to be alive. And there's something really exciting about that. So we can, we can see in every given experience or chapter of our lives, there are things we are grateful for, things we love, things we struggled with. That'll be consistent, you know, the whole time. So we can be grateful for what we've learned, be ready to say goodbye to what <laughs> we don't feel like doing with anymore. Um, but mostly just be excited to, because in each new chapter, if we continue doing this in our work, we bring into it, again, as we've been saying, you know, in our whole conversation, more and more skill skill set, more and more me skills, more and more self-awareness. And we we can get to a point you know, not not that we'll never be triggered again, but when we are, we will know what to do so that it doesn't, you know, initiate some kind of self-destruction. It doesn't, you know, we don't have to spiral. We can know how to take care of ourselves and reinterpret our emotions and keep moving forward, you know, out forever onward onto the beautiful horizon and to have, you know, layered, varied, complex, different, interesting experiences in our lifetime. And not hold ourselves back from that because one experience in the past scared us too much. Oh, there's so much good in this episode. I feel like we've covered so much <laughs> ground. And it's funny because I, I have I feel like whole... we walked each other through a labyrinth. <laughs> we did. It was like therapy. I have a <laughs> list of like 40 possible questions I can ask. And instead, we just created our whole own flow. And so <laughs> for listeners who, so much. who want to actually dive deep into a step-by-step -step process of of understanding whether or not you're self-sabotaging, recurring themes of it, step-by-step -step on identifying me deficiencies, actually strengthening those skills and getting out of it, definitely check out your book, The Mountain Is You, because those are the things we, those are the things I had laid out for this episode, but the universe wanted us to take it everywhere. So I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> thank you so much for such an uplifting conversation. And for listeners that are interested in learning more about you, your last book and your upcoming book, where's the best place for them to connect? Probably Instagram. And it's just my name, Brianna Weist. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 298. Your challenge for this week is to get out your journal. I want you to write down your self-sabotaging behaviors, at least the ones that you know about. Once you bring awareness to some of these, you'll probably start to uncover more that you didn't even realize you were engaging in. But start with what you know. Now, for each self-sabotaging behavior, ask yourself why you do it. And sometimes it helps to not just take the first answer that comes to mind at surface level. Go deeper than that. The longer I sit with these self-reflective questions, the more I tend to uncover. And often you'll get down to a basic need. So identify which of your me deficiencies that we talked about in the episode are connected to each of these fears. And then figure out which emotional or mental skill you would need to overcome it. This is the process of processing. This is how you get out of autopilot in your life. Most people just take their childhood experiences, allow it to change their behaviors and their beliefs about themselves, and then they just live their life living in those limitations. The way to break free is by bringing in your awareness and actually making a choice where you might have previously thought that you had none. So let me know how it goes. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. 
And if you want to bring even more intention into your life, consider joining the MindLove membership at mindlove.com membership. Every month, you'll have a new guided program that will help you bring more intention into your life and help you develop some of these me deficiencies or the skills that'll help you evolve beyond your status quo. So that's at mindlove.com membership. You can find all of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com sponsors. And if you love this episode, consider sharing it. Tag Mindlove Melissa and Mindlove Podcast. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 